received in the mail a notice from Uncle Sam. He was going to be drafted. So he went down excitedly and uh, ran into the office in a very rambunctious way, and he said, I don't need training. Just give me a gun, and if you don't have the gun, I'll go anyway, and I'll tear them apart with my bare hands. Just send me out there. We'll win this war. We'll get this thing done right quick if you just get me out there. The guy behind the desk was taken back. He said, man, you're crazy. He said, write it down, write it down. <laughs> Now, what I'm about to tell you today may make you say, he's crazy. But it's written down. Your human mind will have a very difficult time with what I'm about to share with you. But remember, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. So will you try to think with God for a few minutes? There, are excite there is an excitement in these verses that is unparalleled in all of Scripture. This is the point of consummation, the goal for all eternity. God has been directing his wisdom and his power toward perfect creation, toward perfect environment, toward perfect relations, toward perfect race. And here is the consummation of it, redemption. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Marvelous. We're going to move on through today to what that city will really be like. And I trust your heart will be excited. Creation was marred. He's going to make it perfect. The environment was spotted. He's going to make it perfect. Our relationships were mixed up by sin. He's going to make them perfect. The race was marked by sin and rebellion. He's going to touch the race and make it perfect. Marvelous is God's redemptive plan, the new heavens and the new earth. Now, will you consider with me that sin is the cause of everything that is negative, and everything that is destructive, and the end of sin, according to the Bible, is death. That's the consequence of sin, death. But it's in two parts. It's physical and it's spiritual. Physical death is the result of sin, and spiritual death, or separation from God, is the result or consequence of sin. And the end of death is a lake of fire which burneth forever and ever for the ungodly. But just as there are consequences of sin, there are consequences of righteousness. And we rarely think of it. Even the world goes around saying, go to hell. How many times do you hear anybody saying, go to heaven? You see, we think in the other realm. But I want you to think in the heavenly realm, the consequences of redemption. God has provided us everything beautiful, everything wonderful, everything marvelous, 
And if you're true and faithful to him, it's going to come your way. Cease, the great expositor on Revelation said, I hold it to be a necessary and integral part of the scriptural doctrine of human redemption that our race as a self-multiplying order of beings will never cease to exist or to possess the earth. I subscribe to that. And I rarely have heard it mentioned. So we're going to talk about four basic things, wrapping up with how beautiful and marvelous is that new city God has ordered. First of all, dissolution does not mean extinction. We have read in 2 Peter 3 that there will be a fire, a conflagration, which is going to destroy the present order of things. Now, you might ask, well, I can understand that on earth so that all of the semblances of sin are done away, but why in heaven? Because in heaven there was rebellion. Do you remember someone by the name of Lucifer? He rebelled. He walked right into the presence of God and had the audacity to say, I'm going to be like you. God drove him from his presence and down to earth, and a third of the angels fell with him. So heaven has to be cleansed. So it is correct for us to say, the heavens and the earth shall dissolve with fervent heat. But dissolution does not mean extinction. Notice in Hebrews 12, 25 through 27, the Bible speaks of our God being a consuming fire. The bush Moses looked at was on fire, but it was not consume. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, we read those verses together. Look at verse 10. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. The dissolution of the present framework of the earth does not imply necessarily the loss of its continuity and identity. I believe we have in Scripture some things that can help us understand how this will come about. For one, how God deals with our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, we shall all be changed. Now, we know that the body dies. But Paul says we're going to be Change. So the poet, under the inspiration, I believe, of God, said, it is not death to die. What is it? It's a change. I have said in many funerals, death is the anesthetic God gives while he's changing bodies. I heard E. Stanley Jones say that years ago, and I love that definition of our changing bodies. Now, many of us here feel the effects of age of disease, of sickness, or accident. But we who understand the ways of God know that one day we're going to lay that, be, uh, uh, lay that aside. That will no longer be a part of us. Last night, over here in this dark area, I was making my way out after doing my thing up here, and it's dark back there. And I stepped in a hole, and I went flat on my face back there in the dark. And it hurt. I've got a mark on my leg I could show you, but I won't. 
and it hurt when I went home, but boy, this morning when that alarm went off, I bounced right out, and I was happy and thankful God gave me a new day and that all of you are going to come to see me today. I was excited about it. These bodies, though they get hurt, though they suffer, they're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and yet we will have the identity that we had here. Now, there's an idea of what God is talking about when he talks about new heaven and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.1, if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands. Spiritual continuity. The earth is not to be burned into a cinder and cast away as useless into some slag heap. It is to be transformed and perpetually irradiated with the glory of God, wrote one individual. The main idea of the end of the world or earth passing away seems to be that of transition, not extinction. Normally in our jargon, we think of it being gone. Earth will pass away. The world is going to end. Remember what Jesus said, however, in Matthew 5, 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. Are they inheriting it now? No, they get tramped upon. The meek get stomped into the ground in our present order, but Jesus said they're going to inherit the earth. So it speaks of some kind of continuity and change that's going to come about. Further consider Isaiah 45, verse 18. God formed the earth to be inhabited. No indication of that idea being done away with. In Ezekiel 37, 25, God speaks through his prophet of Israel and the promised land. And they say, they shall dwell in it forever. Now, how long is forever? It's forever. That's how long it is. Forever is forever. As long as your mind can possibly think and take in, that is the length of forever. And they said they will inherit it forever. So there's something here that we have not thought about or considered before that we need to consider. Last week we talked about the millennium. Where is it? On earth. Then the great battle of Armageddon. I mean the uh, extinction of the devil for good. He will be put aside forever. And then the divine order of things should be this new developing earth and developing heaven. I don't know where you're planning to be in the eternity that is beyond, but the picture that we are given most of the time is not accurate. We are thinking in terms of some ethereal place with rivers and trees budding and blooming and providing fruit, but there's more. I think the New Jerusalem is our R&R place. It's where we go to get rest and relaxation while we're taking care of God's great universe. The earth will be here, but in a new form, cleansed and made pure. The heaven will be there, but cleansed and made pure. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven will be our place of rest 
and relaxation filled with beauty and wonder and jewels rare. New heavens, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Secondly, we need to think about the divine covenant throughout history. God never breaks covenant. God's promises in Isaiah 65, 17 included, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. God said that. And he's a covenant-keeping God. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58, he promised us new bodies and he's going to come through. In Isaiah 65, during the millennial reign, there is death, according to the prophet. He said the children will be a hundred years old, but die. A thousand-year reign makes a person a hundred a child, and there will be death. But Isaiah 65 has the promise of final restoration and complete victory in it. God is a covenant-keeping God. 2 Peter 3.9, the verse just before we began our reading this morning. God's promise shows patience. God is not slack concerning his promise. He's not willing that any should perish. Now, what are you asking in your mind? If this is all going to happen, if this is all going to be so beautiful and so wonderful, why hasn't it happened before now? Look at the starving. Look at the people who are out of work. Look at the conditions on our earth. Do you want the answer to that? Do you really want the answer to it? Because it's a very simple answer. The reason he has not yet brought it into being is because some of you are lost. Some need salvation. And one of God's covenants with us is his patience, his long suffering. Now, if it was me, I'm not sure if I could wait. But God can. Read it again. God is not slack concerning his promise. But is not willing that any perish. He's going to bring his plan to pass. But his patience holds that back while we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a part of it, Give your life to Christ today. Surrender yourself to Jesus today. Let salvation come to your house today. And you will help usher in the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. Because one of these days the last soul will be brought in and the clouds will show forth the glory of God. But he is infinitely patient and he waits for men to be saved, but I don't know how long he will wait. When I heard this week that 20% of the Bay Area is homosexual, I said, God, how long will you wait? Because Sodom and Gomorrah had the same sign sin, and you brought fire and brimstone down upon it. We are in a day when we must be looking for the coming of Christ. How long will God hold back his judgments? How long will his patience endure when men say, oh, this isn't sin, it's just a way of life? I must come back to the book and read that no homosexual shall have a part in the kingdom of God. And I don't say that with any joy, I say that with love and compassion. There is a way to change. 
He that's in Christ is a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. I want you in the kingdom. I don't want you to be lost. So God's patience holds back the judgment. But for how long? I don't know. But I know we're heading on a collision course. And we need to get on our knees before God and say, you can do anything, God. You can change anybody and anything. And I submit myself for that change. That's a divine covenant. And God will not pull it back. He will follow through on what he has said. Third thing has to do with the divine creation. Oh, how exciting it is. In Revelation 21, there are two references to the New Jerusalem, one in verse 2 and one in verse 10. They are not the same. These are two distinct times, two distinct revelations, not a repetition. They are removed by a thousand years of time. The first takes place at the revelation of Christ, when heaven is open. Verse 10 begins a great description of that particular time. And in verse 27, nothing unclean enters. It's when the raptured go up and they behold the new Jerusalem in heaven. And what a sight. The second is effected after the renovation of the present earth. In one instance, the bridal city relates to the present earth before its renewal by fire. In the other instance, it has relation to the new earth. If you want other proof, look at verses 9, 14, 23, and 27, where it speaks of the lamb and the lamb's wife. But in the second through the fifth verse, only references to God, no reference to the lamb. Two distinct times. Ten and on the lamb and the lamb's wife. The bride hath made herself ready. But in verses 2 to 5, just God. So we need to separate these two and understand where they fit. Jesus reigns for a thousand years on earth. He delivers the kingdom to the Father, and God becomes all in all. 1 Corinthians 15 declares it. He gives the thing back to God in renovated form. Some believe that during the millennium, the new Jerusalem descends to a place of proximity to the earth and in full view of its inhabitants, and that during the final state, it actually descends to earth. That would not be hard for me to believe. You see, during the thousand years, people who are busy carrying out God's plan can just head on up to the new Jerusalem and have a little rest. Isn't that exciting? In that great city, and then when that period is over, it could rest right here. Whatever the case, we know that something stupendous and marvelous in God's divine creation is taking place. A minister friend of mine had a brother pass away very early in life, and he was rather mad at God for the death of his brother, and God sent an angel to speak to him, literally. The angel of the Lord said to him, Your brother is young, yes, but we're doing big things up here. We're getting a kingdom ready. We're getting a city ready, and God wants some of his servants earlier than others because they have particular tasks to do as we prepare for that which is going to be for all of mankind. Hallelujah. And his heart was at peace. Great thought. 
Now remember Jacob's ladder back in the Old Testament, angels ascending and descending with no problem from earth to heaven. Can you see the holy city hanging up here and we just ascend and descend at will, carrying out God's bidding? John 1.51, ye shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, ministering to Jesus in his time of need. So why not for all of us in our glorified state, ascending and descending from this great and stupendous city that God has prepared as a monitor of all heaven and earth? <laughs> there are some very interesting transportation possibilities in the Bible. You see, we have such a hard time understanding it. We're limited. Maybe you read in the paper this last week about the new manager of the Sacramento transit system. His name is David Boggs. David is a convert of mine from Olympia, Washington. Was a member of my church there. Been to Houston to head the transportation system there. Now he's coming to Sacramento. Will be a member of our church. And it excites me because... Billy Graham crusade in 83, we need a lot of buses and a lot of transportation, and we've got the man right at our fingertips. <laughs> and furthermore, the new rail system, which will surround Sacramento, has as its final station right across from our new property out there on Highway 50. I don't think that's a mistake at all. And with the head of the system here, I've got some ideas I want to share with him. Exciting transportation possibilities, but friends, it is just inconceivable when you look into the scriptures to figure out what kind of ideas God has. But this we know, we're going to have the ability to get here and there in pretty good order without any kind of spacesuit or any kind of special paraphernalia, it will be just as natural as breathing. Just as angels were ascending and descending, we're going to have a new phase of existence. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't miss it for anything. That's God's divine creation ability. Now finally, the divine conditions. This is where we come to the actual description of the city that God has for his loved ones. First of all, it is decorated with the glory of God. That's quite a possibility, isn't it? The city is irradiated or irradiated with the glory of God. Everywhere you go, you'll feel the glory of God. Some people say to me, oh, pastor, I'd just like to live right here in the church. The atmosphere is so much better than where I live, where I work. I understand that. But we can't live here. We get fueled up here to go out and infect our world. But in that day, every room, every mansion, every street, every place will be the glory of God. And what a prospect. What a prospect. The symbolisms used to describe this city represent the most valuable and wonderful things with which we are acquainted. Jasper walls, streets of gold, gates of pearl, foundations of precious stones. Read them in 18 through 21 of chapter 21 of Revelation. What about the size? The length and breadth and height are equal. Verse 16, 
A furlong is about an eighth of a mile. So when you figure it out, it calculates to 1,500 miles square. 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 that way, 1,500 this way, 1,500 back again, and 1,500 miles this way. Talk about high rise. 1,500 miles. Where does that end? I don't know. I haven't been that far. When I get up in jets, they say, we are now flying at 33,000 feet, but that's peanuts. That's nothing. That's hardly six miles. 1,500 miles up and over and down is the city of God. And some of you, bless your hearts, You'd rather spend your life, your money, your time building a little house out here somewhere and give up on God when you've got such a possibility in the future that won't cost you a dime. Give yourself to the service of Christ and one day you'll be in a city 1,500 miles square with everything you've ever dreamed of to enjoy forever. Don't miss it. The walls of the city are 240 feet thick. You see, the Bible talks in terms of cubits, and the cubit is 18 to 20 inches. It's about the fingertips to the elbow. And that translates to 240 feet, the walls of the city. Big enough for Jew and Gentile. In chapter 21, verse 12, there are 12 gates. On the gates written the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Hey, it means that the Jews will be there and the Gentiles will be there and they'll be living in peace. The gates have the names of those patriarchs of Israel, the twelve tribes and the foundation for the walls, the twelve apostles of the Lamb. What a place. In verse 22, you read there's no temple there. We don't even need to build churches. No need for an intermediary place or form of worship because it will be everywhere. Access to God and continued worship is everywhere. I mean, it's just the order of the day. God is there. The glory of God fills the whole city, so there's no temple there. Worship will be everywhere unto God. Verse 23, you'll discover there's no secondary system of illumination. No PG&E, no smud there. The light and glory of the Lamb is sufficient to fill the whole city with illumination. Think of it. Just the Lamb of God lighting the whole place. And it will be a holy place. We read that we look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. Rightness. Oh, don't you long for that? Don't you get sick and tired of the smut and the junk that's peddled our way? You get it through the eye gate, you get it through the ear gate, you can hardly help from touching it. Wherever you go, it is around us, but in that city there will be none, only righteousness in that city. 
And if that wasn't enough, John goes into the 22nd chapter, which is the last chapter of the Bible, and he says in verse 3, there's going to be no curse there, no more curse. <laughs> that means no weeds in my garden, my flowers, my lawn. I had to call one of our men out the other day who's in landscaping. I said, Marvin, what's the matter with my lawn? It looks horrible. It's gotten all brown patches in it and it was beautiful green in the summer. And he said, oh, you got too much water on it. You watered it too much. I got a little discouraged about that. You know, you work hard to get it all nice and then it's all cruddy all of a sudden. And you know, you feel like, now God, I serve you pretty faithfully. I put in a lot of hours for you. How come my lawn is a mess? God says, you're dumb. Now, does he talk to you like that? He said, why didn't you ask before? You look good before. But then I remember the word, and I say, oh, so what? So what? I can dig it up and plant another one if I have to. But here, no more curse. I won't have to get in the flower beds and pull weeds. I actually don't now. I connive with my mother-in-law to do it. I set her up. It's what I do. And it works. But we won't even have to worry about that in the new place. And you're taking chances with your soul? Oh. Verse 3, his servants shall serve him. That means no more self-will. You can't help but serve him. His servants serve him. Now, we get a little slothful, a little weak. And we have to force ourselves at times to serve him, but then we won't have to force at all. It will be just as natural as breathing. His servants serve him. Verse 4, they shall see his face. No more separation between God and man. Just as you look upon me and I, you, we look upon his face. Verse number 4, his name shall be in their foreheads, the seal of divine possession. We will be his forever. Peter said we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. His name in our forehead. Hallelujah. Owned by God. Verse 5, no night there. The police hate the night because the prowlers are out. Their work is extended at night. Insomnia victims hate the night. There is no night there. And verse 5 says, they shall reign under the ages of the ages. Hallelujah. No end to it. They shall reign under the ages of the ages. As far as the eye can see, as long as the mind can think, under the ages of the ages they reign. Verse 6 of chapter 22 sums it all up here, this statement. These sayings are faithful and true. Write it down. Write it down. Faithful and true. 
hard to believe, hard to comprehend, hard to understand, but here they are, faithful and true are these sayings. They are going to come to pass. This is a statement of reliability. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you a humanist? Or are you godly in your thoughts and in your deeds and in your actions? Are you trusting in man or trusting in God? These sayings are faithful and true. You need to plug into his great plan. Here is the consummation of all of God's desire, all of God's love is wrapped up in this marvelous declaration, I will create new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and you shall reign as the stars of the heavens. That is your potential. Don't settle for less. Now, concluding, I got a survey in the mail about the churches in the United States and church members. It disturbed me. 10% of these members cannot be found anywhere. 20% never attend a service. 25% admit they never pray. 35% admit they never read the Bible. 40% never give in the offering. 60% never read the Bible lessons provided by the Christian education departments. 70% of them never attend a Sunday evening service. 75% never get involved, which means 25% do all the work. 95% never win a soul to Christ. And yet the survey said 100% of them expect to go to heaven. That increased my burden for people. Because in Matthew 25, there is a parable Jesus told of ten virgins, all of them virgins. But five went in and five were left out. And the only reason five were left out is because the oil ran out. They were carrying on the normal duties to a point, but they let the oil get low and didn't replenish. Are you really ready? Are you really ready for the events we've been talking about these several weeks? It's time to clean house. If you're not going to get with it, why don't you just get out and you'll do us all a favor. You see, hypocrisy is what the world looks at and says, I don't want any part of that because it's so phony. See what I mean? It's time for us to either get in or get out. If your name's going to be on the roll, then put your heart there too. And let your feet walk in that way and your hands move in that direction and your eyes move in that way and your ears are hearing the things that you should be hearing. and Your mind is thinking those things you should be thinking. It's time for us to get right with God. That's the burden of my heart as I've shared with you these messages. It's twofold. It's for the unsaved that they won't miss out. And it's for the saved that they'll get their heart into that which God has given us to do. Where are you? Let's pray. Father, it's serious business that we're looking at today. We need your help. 
We're not here today to condemn anybody. You're not here to condemn us, but to save us. So in your mercy, reach down, and if anybody's angry because of the word, may they just examine the reason for that and say, I do need to adjust. There are some areas of my life that are not consecrated to God. Or if a person has not surrendered to Christ at all, may today they do just that, surrender, and give Christ their life. May everybody that has heard this message today, whether it be in this auditorium or by television or tape or radio, may they prepare themselves for the inevitable. The coming of Christ and then the eventual new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, where we reign from age to age. Don't let our selfishness keep us out. Don't let our flesh rob us of the glory of God. While our heads are bowed in prayer and no one is looking about, I just want to address myself to you as though we were sitting down across from each other in an office where we could just chat for a moment together. And I'm asking you this question first. Are you a Christian? Have you given Christ your life? And if your answer would be no, then may I say quickly that you can make him the Lord of your life right now in these few seconds of time. You can say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. He'll do it. He's promised. And he'll make a change in you forever. You'll just let him. So, having discussed that together, now I ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Cole, that's me. I want you to pray with me today. I want that to happen in my life. Would you raise your hand up right now? I don't want to miss out on anything God has planned for his children. I want to be a part of God's family. Lift your hand and hold it there till I see it. Thank you. Right here in this section, back here and down here in this section, God bless you. And over here to my right, numbers of hands. Thank you very much. Hold them until I see them, even in the balcony. I'll spot you eventually. Thank you. Right there in the front, I see your hand there to my right. God bless you. Are there others? Join in this time of prayer with me. I want Christ in my life. Thank you. Over here to my left, God bless you. And back there, under the balcony, I see that hand. God bless you back there. The Spirit of God is in this place. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to surrender. And those of you watching me by television, Christ loves you. Give him your life. It's the best decision I ever made, and it will be the best one you ever make. Do it today. Pray right there where you are. Now, Jesus, come into these lives. In a moment, we will ask them to step to this altar to receive material and the counsel of a friend. May they have the courage to come and say publicly, I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of my life. Thank you for touching them and coming into their hearts. Before I say amen, how many of you would say, I've received Christ, but pastor, I, I'd be in those statistics you read. I don't want to be. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be ready, but I want to be a faithful servant. And there are areas of my life I see I'm going to have to attend to. With God's help, I will. Would you raise your hand? Let me pray with you today. I know there are many. God has revealed that to me, many. But I want you to raise your hand and confess it before God and before men. Raise it up. God bless you. All over the building, hands are being raised. I want more of Christ. God bless you. Make some strong decisions and stick with them. Now, Lord, I pray for these. I truly do. Strengthen them. It's not so much that we need to know more about you, but we need to do what we already know. 
to do. So come, I pray, to each one. Be merciful and gracious and meet the need. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand reverently, quietly together. Staff members are coming to face the audience, and I want to ask those of you who raised your hand to slip out and come down from the balcony, the stairway right close on either side. I have a tape and a booklet that I've prepared for you. I want to give it to you, and I can't unless you come this way. Plus, it's just great for people to move out and say before others who really love you and really care, I'm going to follow Jesus. Come along as we sing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. Come as we sing. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Sing it again, and if you haven't come, come as we sing. We give you this opportunity and invitation. It'll be the best move you ever made. I assure you that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Praise his name. To all of you, I want to say what PTL says. You can make it. There's no need for you to stumble and fall along the way. You can make it, and you're going to make it with God's blessed help in your life. Trust him. We're heading for big and great things, folks. And let's do it together. What do you say? What an impact we can make on this city. Do it together. God bless you. Thank you for your attentiveness and your response to the new schedule. Remember the classes next Sunday. Be in one. I really urge you to be. It will en enhance your spiritual life. I pray God to use you as you come. Wednesday night.